Hello and hi, welcome to another Slice of Sci-Fi. I'm Summer Brooks, and with me today is author and professor Will Brooker, who has written some exciting and very intense media studies uh, books and articles over the years. Uh, Hunting the Dark Knight was was one I had first traipsed across uh, a while back, and then he's done a BFI Classics on Star Wars, so I had to get that one because we talked about the BFI Classics book on Empire Strikes Back also a few years back. But his newest book is Never Ending Watchmen, adaptations, sequels, prequels, and remixes out now from Bloomsbury in their film and media studies collection. And my goodness, this book is only about 300 pages, 250 pages, but it feels like an encyclopedic text on a study of the history and influences of Watchmen, and it kind of is. And just for me personally, seeing this level of detail to attention to Watchmen and what went into Alan Moore's original creation and how the world has now taken that graphic novel, that 12-issue miniseries that I actually individually bought many, many years ago as it was coming out, the the way the world has interpreted Watchmen for its own storytellings and the expansion of that, I'm going to call it mythology, into something far greater than the the original creators could ever have imagined is fascinating to me. And the fact that Will here has written a an extremely dense and entertaining tome about that is also fascinating. So welcome, Will. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, in this, you you say that the launching point for this book was actually the HBO miniseries. Talk talk about where the I guess the spark for this book came from and the just <clears throat> half of the information that you footnote in here. I'm like, where did he find mm. this? <laughs> yeah. Um it's like, well, I mean, there's an annotated edition of Watchmen. Watchmen has attracted an awful lot of commentary itself. So it's true. I did need an awful lot of footnotes. It's one of those things just spins off into, you know, side notes and echoes and in addition. But the, the prompt was, the trigger or whatever, um, was was the HBO Watchmen, but not just in itself, the fact that it was running exactly the same time as DC Comics' official sequel, Doomsday Clock, on a different media platform, because this was um, monthly, supposed to be monthly anyway, comic books, which were then collected into collected graphic novel format. It was running at the same time, two sequels, independent of each other, completely distinct, neither of them exactly official or authorized. Um, well, DC Comics one was official, and I guess so is the HBO one, but without the consent and approval of original writer, Alan Moore, with the approval of Dave Gibbons, the, uh, the artist, one of the artists, and that they depict two completely different futures from Watchmen's 1985-1986. And so it's as if they spin off into two parallel worlds, two multiple universes. And that I thought was very, very interesting that we have two different fictions concluding at exactly the same time in December 2019 that do the same thing with a now, you know, quite old graphic novel, 1985-86. Um, but taking a completely different direction, so different characters are alive or dead, there have been different consequences from the, the cliffhanger, the ambiguous ending of Watchmen issue 12. And the fact that they both sort of exist in their own right, and it struck me that this is symptomatic of media storytelling these days, that often we have um, different timelines, different kind of universes, which we're asked to somehow juggle and choose between in terms of which one is canon. 
And that broader question comes up in the final chapter where I open up and I say, you know, perhaps the current state of Watchmen is actually quite typical of the way we now experience stories. And there's a trend for multiverse storytelling. But that was the start. And I thought it might be an article. And then I realized as soon as I started planning it, you know, this is really, it will be a very, very long article. Yes, that was the prompt. The fact that there were two Watchmen universes running at the same time. I actually didn't realize that the two were concluding around the same time, but it, that is fascinating how they both came about at, you know, they just both hit the market, so to speak, at the same time. And the, the what is it, the cyclical nature, you know, the the one theme that you or one of the themes that you touch on is like the beginning is the end in the beginning, how, and that, that is something that has been talked about quite frequently, as you've noted in your bibliography, how you read the Watchmen, the, the, the graphic novel, and then at the end, you, you get a, a hint of something and then you go back and reread it with a slightly different perspective because of the ending and it changes how you can read it. And I think that is one uh, aspect of the storytelling that people have found fascinating over the years because there are countless fans of Marvel in DC who have bought, read, reread, uh, graphic novels over the past 30 years, but there aren't many that sort of latch on to this never-ending newness mm -hmm. that I've seen Watchmen inspire over mm -hmm. the years. Mm -hmm. And seeing just how vast <laughs> the, the, the commentary on Watchmen and its authors and its spin-offs. It just the bibliography that you've collected here alone is mm -hmm. worth <laughs> the price of the book. Wow. Okay, but thanks. Your your attention to detail. Let me grab the the table of contents here. The breakdown was, was fascinating to me. You have a chapter on intertextuality and authorship, a chapter on influence and interpretation, which I found absolutely delightful, mm -hmm. adaptation and fidelity, and just the, the fan firestorms that the movie uh, launched. Mm -hmm. um, where is it? Influence and interpretation and a section on the prequels, the sequels, the supplements, and the remixes, and what you what you call the Watchmen multiverse. Now that right. we have, how was it? You said the the annotated <clears throat> version. There's there's like an ultimate director's cut. Mm -hmm. I think that is mm -hmm. completely rare. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just I just went with the the, the basic uh, home video release and. Mm -hmm. I think there was the the version I have is the standard theatrical version, but it's on a collection of four DC movies. Uh, it's Watchmen, mm. Jonah Hex, huh. History of Violence, and The Losers together on one Blu-ray. I'm like, that's a really unusual collection, yeah. It, exactly, but yeah. it's all it's all DC movies, yeah. and I'm guessing it's all movies that they thought were not successful. I'm like, but <laughs> Watchmen mm. doesn't. Fine fit with these other three how did i mean yeah so but yeah the when you when you say remixes i think of that mm, <laughs> um, in, yeah. including that movie on that collection but yeah it's very true yeah the 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 movie itself created arguments i remember this mm -hmm. because of what had to be um well, the problems with adapting mm. a complex mm -hmm. work like Watchmen into a film mm. 
always was presented challenges because the movie didn't come out until 2009. We're talking yeah. about 30 years after the book. And yeah. it, it took them that long to figure out how to put at least part of the story, the, the meat of the story on film. And it, it sort of fit with Zack Snyder's uh, mm. vision, filmmaking vision of the DC universe. And mm. talk about what you saw, because that, that movie pretty much relaunched Watchmen into mm. uh, the, the current consciousness. I'm mm. going to say the current consciousness because of the... I'm going to say it's it's more like Zack Snyder's fan base rather than DC mm. Comics mm. film mm. Uh, fan base. But t talk about what you saw mm. with that. Sure. I think Zack Snyder's Watchmen is still the first point of contact with Watchmen for a lot of people. You can see on Reddit's Watchmen forum, regular posts saying, you know, I like the movie. Is it worth me reading the graphic novel? So it's still it's still an entry point. Um, and perhaps it is through Snyder and his work on the DC universe. As a fan of the graphic novel, um, I found it, you know, flawed but promising. Um, mm -hmm. I liked some bits and, and not others. Uh, it's sort of, it's torn between an attempt to be faithful to, I was going to say Alan Moore, but in a way it's more faithful to Dave Gibbons and John Higgins' artwork, actually, because it reproduces frames almost precisely as as moving pictures and that was very much foregrounded in the trailer they were very much aiming at this idea you know watchman is in safe hands because look we've actually reproduced key scenes as if with exactly the same composition as they were in the original graphic novel um so despite its attempt at fidelity i think it's also torn in one direction or in a different direction by the things that zach snyder likes which is speed ramping, uh, athletic, muscular bodies, a certain kind of, you know, dramatic, a, a melodrama almost. The sort of thing we think in 300, you know, someone picks up a, a spear and it becomes a gigantic, majestic movement with a spear flying through the air and blood spattering everywhere. And that is completely out of keeping with what the original graphic novel was about and kind of needle drops with, you know, music. So parts of it almost look like a, like a rock video. Um, it was going to be impossible, I think, to adapt something that big to a movie of a normal length anyway, or even a long movie. So I don't really think that was ever going to work simply because of the, you know, 90 minutes, two and a half hours isn't enough. I don't think it was ever going to really work because of Snyder's interests and how they're inconsistent with a lot of things about the graphic novel. Um, there is certainly a pleasure in seeing things you liked in the graphic novel kind of come to life and have characters voiced and see things um, moving and to see drawings made into sets and costumes made into real real textiles and fabric. So I find a certain pleasure in, in, in its fidelity in that, you know, you feel you're sort of, he reconstructed entire New York streets from the graphic novel. So he was recreating a kind of 1985 or an alternate identify, which is very much influenced in his film by things like Taxi Driver. So I enjoy the fact that we're immersed in this universe with its detailed alternate world advert advertisements and, and posters and newspapers and flyers um, and media. I think as a story, hard for me to come to it entirely in isolation. Um, I think as a story compared to the graphic novel, it, it truncates too much, it compresses too much. I'm not sure how it would work to someone unfamiliar with the original story. I think it's, I mean, generously, I would say it's, it's interesting and um, good in parts and flawed. But what I tried to get across in my chapter was I was trying to take a slightly different direction because I think it'd be too easy to say, well, this is why this movie is disappointing and this is how Zack Snyder failed. I was trying to, trying to get a... Um, perhaps he wasn't really trying to adapt faithfully and that a lot of people's favourite part of the movie is the title sequence, which has nothing to do with the graphic novel at all. It's got Bob Dylan's Times They Are Changing and it depicts the history of this alternate universe 
from, I guess, the 30s to the 80s. And it's completely done in Zack Snyder's speed ramping, very slowed down tableaus of muscular, attractive people in action. Um, and I almost felt through analysing that, which I do at some length in that chapter, he's almost saying, well, here are the things that film can do that comics can't. And that in a way, even though the film was promoted as being very, very faithful, in fact, um, it's, perhaps it's not trying to be like the comic, perhaps it's actually trying to be like a Zack Snyder movie and it was misunderstood because of that promotion is like you're in safe hands because here here's the comedian falling through the window here's the owl ship rising from the water here's rorschach climbing up a building it's going to be like the comic brought to life i think perhaps it isn't actually that at all and we shouldn't approach it expecting that and perhaps we can enjoy it more if we see it in the context of things like 300. huh that works for me and it the for me, the movie, I'm going to call it an, an homage mm. to the actual original mm. story. And the only, I'm not going to say the only, but the main reason they marketed it as a faithful adaptation mm. was to make sure they reeled in the fans of yeah. the original graphic novel. and. Yeah. Unfortunately, those fans are the same ones who were unthrilled mm -hmm. with the final product of the mm -hmm. movie. And given the history of breaking stories, film stories apart into multiple chapters, mm -hmm. it, it always confounded me. I'm like, why didn't they spend the money? Mm -hmm and make this a two-part or a three-part film series. And at, I guess they just did not want to dive um, that deeply into um, everything um, that the original graphic novel encompassed. Um, and they, they settled, I'm going to say, um, for, and I'm going to say settled because um, Zack Snyder doesn't settle but he's only got a certain budget to work with. Yeah. And they, they had to you know, pick and choose what yeah. they're going to use. And I wonder if they would do that differently if they had, you know, waited another five years and say, okay, yeah, let's make this, you know, part one and part two and go a little deeper, you know, make, make sure to not, uh, you know, ignore or dismiss the fan base that would have made this a, a hit movie. Oh, there's so many things to consider there. Um, firstly, I think you're right. It was pitched towards the fans, but also fans are usually a vocal minority. And I'm not sure if it had sold 100% to fans, if that would be enough to sustain it box office because they usually probably not now, but small. Um, in terms of whether, I mean, I think actually it would, I don't see why it doesn't suit a 12 episode TV series really. But they wouldn't have done, well, would they have done it? Because Heroes, you see, which came out around 2006, kind of proved there was a market for a TV mm -hmm. series. So they could have done that. I don't think they quite had the budget um, to, to, to achieve Watchmen in 2009 on television. Another reason I think they wouldn't split it is just too big a commercial and creative risk. You've got this one graphic novel, I think people around the time were already a bit frustrated with things like Harry Potter and the Deathly Harrows, Hallows being split into two. Mm -hmm. Even things like Endgame, people say, oh, why do we have to have two movies for the finale? And that's much more recent. So I think the idea, well, they did it with The Hobbit, didn't they? And it wasn't very popular. The idea of splitting one book into three, yeah, I mean, we saw what happened with The Hobbit, the beloved mm -hmm. book, The Hobbit. It becomes stretched and padded out and people think it's just a money spinner. So I can completely understand why they didn't want to split Watchmen into a trilogy or, or a two-part at the time. Um, I think if it came out later, it would have worked, it would have been different and it would have worked differently for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because when Watchmen came out, the way it was pitched was in the same way as Sin City and 300 before it. And those were marketed on their fidelity to the original comic. And perhaps those are just simpler comics, perhaps those are simpler stories. And they 
they stuck to Frank Miller and Lynn Varley's artwork and did that very successfully, but perhaps you can't do that with Watchmen. And another thing is at the time, the superhero movie was kind of in its, not infancy, but like puberty. Um, had Iron Man come out now? I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. I said Iron it. Man. Yeah, Iron Man had just come out. So yeah. completely different. We had no cinematic universes. If it came out in 2019, it would have been in a completely different context and it could have been a completely different type of film. Because I think it had to kind of, I think it had to first establish the fact that here we are in the superhero genre. Whereas if it came out 10 years later, everyone would have understood the concept and that wouldn't have to be introduced at all. So it could have been a commentary on the MCU and the DCU as well as um, everything else it was. It could have been a kind of meta commentary on superhero movies. Whereas coming out in 2009, it was very early in the modern superhero genre, really. So it had to do a different type of work. But they could remake it, couldn't they? I mean, I, I think 10 years from now, a, a 12 issue TV show could work if they're going to do anything. I, I think I would, I would do that. And with the unfortunate, depending on how you look at it, the mm -hmm. tendency to remake everything mm -hmm. eventually, that, you know, pitching, pitching it as another TV series to sort of bookend the one that exists, I could see that happening eventually. I could see them saying this is entirely different from that TV show, actually. Mm -hmm. I can imagine yeah. them doing that. I can imagine them saying this is a completely clean reset. We respect and we admire that one. We're going back to the original here and we're, we're doing it like it should have been done. And we admire Zack Snyder's, but this isn't going to be that. Um, it would be so different, though, wouldn't it? They would probably have to do it for the 50th anniversary, actually, would be the time to do it. And then it would be to, to recreate the 80s would be especially nostalgic and historical. It would be a kind of Cold War period piece. I think if I was in charge of the world, I would do Watchmen 12 issue TV series for its 50th anniversary. Or it, just leave it, or just let it die and just let it go. At this point, that's not an impossibility. Uh, not at see. all. We should not, see. yeah. Huh. We'll see. We'll see what yeah, they, have, what they have in mind. <laughs> so talk a little bit about your approach to this book what you said it started out as an idea for an article yeah and then you just realized there's too much for one article that has to go yeah. wider so technically you've been working on this for four years oh yeah definitely at least four years yeah i mean in a way i've been working on it in the back of my mind since 1986 i suppose <laughs> you know because you don't just start or i don't anyway i don't just start from scratch with something like this, I have my kind of, you know, my kind of fan knowledge already there. I was just drawing on data banks of previously useful, useless, sorry, previously useless information about Watchmen, and it becomes useful. So yeah, I mean, a lot of the thoughts were already there somewhere in my mind. I didn't certainly didn't buy all the books from scratch when I decided to write to write this. It was just tapping into something. I guess I've been thinking about on one level for decades. Yeah. So for you, what was the, I guess, the attraction, the, what hooked you about Watchmen that you kept paying attention mm. to what other uh, professors and other journalists, other writers mm. were saying mm. about the story that you kept up with what other people were saying it's like oh i want to you know this person's take is interesting oh look at this you know hey i didn't see this article it came out last year this is kind of cool well i think unlike something like batman which i think is now a bit or star wars which for me is now a bit oversaturated like you see it everywhere um there's almost too much of it to retain my interest and fascination now watchman was relatively neglected um i would say really until snyder's movie came out which is fairly recent and after that you had a video game and then you had comic book prequels and you had the hbo series and you had the dc sequel and you had the dc spin-off rorschach which all of which are completely independent of each other so for quite a while it was just a thing from the 80s which comic book fans liked and other people 
you know, might have heard of because it crossed over into the mainstream bit. It was one of the big three graphic novels of the 1980s. I suppose I first encountered it at quite a formative time, you know, I was 16 years old. It was certainly a new kind of superhero comic. It, um, it made you feel that you, it made you feel intelligent to be reading it somehow. Um, it didn't patronize you. It, uh, it was full of kind of, you know, puzzles and hidden ideas and even a sort of, you know, philosophy, really, I suppose a sort of soft philosophy, but it had, it had big ideas and it was something you could puzzle over and study and go back and reread. And for me, age 16, that was just exactly, exactly what I wanted. Um, you know, it felt kind of sophisticated, even if it wasn't that sophisticated looking back, you know, to me at the time, I just thought it was, it, it was pretty mind blowing. And so it stuck in my mind and, um, you know, I guess it remained one of my favorite stories in comics in a way. And then it came back into the popular consciousness over the 10 years since Snyder's movie. So I guess it's just been a, you know, a favorite story, as simple as that. It's been a, a superhero comic that I really enjoyed and could go back and look at. Even writing the book, you know, I found myself looking again at individual page and just really admiring details of the artwork, just looking at it afresh. Mm -hmm you know admiring admiring a line of dialogue or you know the lettering anything you know the coloring it's one of those things that you can appreciate as a whole but you can also look at a panel of it and see that anew yeah the the artwork in the original was always uh, uh had a, a certain tone mm. a a depth and a darkness to it that was that served the story exceptionally exceptionally well and i think i think that's what a lot of fans were looking for when the movie did come out and i'm not sure if not getting it or getting something different from it caused more upset with them well, i think the truth is and i've tried to discuss this you kind of you can't you just can't because with a comic book, all the things I was just talking about, you can't do when you're watching a movie. Like if I'm saying, I like to focus on this line of dialogue and the lettering and the way Dave Gibbons did light and darkness in this individual panel. Um, even if Zack Snyder reproduces those panels, the very nature of cinema means that unless we're gonna watch it and freeze frame it and look at the frames, mm. those panels are straight past us. And I mean, I talk about this, there's like frames where he's reproduced almost as if the original Watchmen was a storyboard, Rorschach's foot coming down in a puddle and there's a newspaper in the background and there's water splashing and reflections and everything. And in the comic book, I'm looking, I can look at those three panels and think, I can appreciate the sense of motion, but I can also appreciate every single precise detail. And when he does that in the film, a foot coming down to a puddle, it's there in a second. So I think it's partly, yeah. that frustration is partly due to the, the fact that movies just tell their stories very differently to, to comic books. You can't turn back and say, oh, does that echo something I saw on a previous page? Or you're not meant to in a cinema anyway. You could you could watch it like that. You know, you could stream it and keep pausing it and rewinding, but it's not really meant to be watched that way. So yeah. I think you can't get the same stuff out of a film, really. Not exactly. Yeah. And if it's designed to be seen in a theater, you can't uh, go back no. and try to re-see that scene in your head because the movie's still playing and you can't you know if yeah. you went to the movie you know with a couple of friends you're you're gonna distract yourself mm -hmm. from what's playing on the screen by trying to go wait what was that yeah. you know yeah. and that that changes the nature of the storytelling the story you're trying to tell and i never i never really thought of it like that but yeah that's why people yeah. enjoy watching the movies at home because they can stop and go oh look this scene here mirrors that scene we saw 20 minutes ago that means something what is it supposed to mean what are we supposed to pick up from that that will enhance our appreciation of the story that the whole entire movie is telling and you know you've got a 300 page graphic novel you can't do that in a two hour and 15 minute movie <laughs> yeah it couldn't be anything but disappointing in a way 
just because of the translation from one media form to another. No one could have done it perfectly. I think Alan Moore always said, really, you know, it's a if you like it, then please like it as a graphic novel. It's a comic. It's a really good comic. The reason it lingered in development hell for so long is because it was considered so hard to adapt. And um, maybe it could have been left, you know? Mm -hmm. What do you see as the result of both Doomsday Clock and the TV series coming out and sort of sparking this new fire in interest in Watchmen? I've got to say, until the very recent business with the TV series being taken off HBO Max, I hadn't thought there, there was a fire. The fact there's been some controversy about that now shows that there's still a, an active and vocal fan base of the TV series, and perhaps that's also linked with and overlaps with the, the comic book fan base. I kind of think, I think I, my sense was that Doomsday Clock kind of fell a bit flat, really, um, that it's liked by some comic book fans, but didn't make a big cultural impact. And my sense is that the HBO Watchmen was very, very powerful and resonant at the time, but I haven't really seen people talking about it much over the last couple of years. And uh, the irony is that because I was writing about Watch from Watchmen from about 1985 to 2020. Actually, you know, when I when I when I'm working on a project, I have a cutoff point. And I don't really look at it after that. So I wasn't trying to keep on updating it. So the way people are talking about Watchmen now, actually, I'm the last person to to know what they're saying because, you know, I finished the book and I kind of want to get a bit of distance from the subject. So I haven't been following it recently. Um, I must have stopped around 2021, certainly 2022. And the last thing I was looking at was how it's been memed, um, how <laughs> memes around Watchmen have nothing to do with the original story and individual panels and frames have now become completely divorced from the original and just circulate as, as kind of, you know, as, as, as jokes really, or not even, not even jokes, just a man, a blue man sitting on Mars and you can, you can use it as a template for whatever you want. I, I will admit, I had never, ever, ever seen the the Twitter Wendy's ad that you <clears> mentioned in there, and I'm going to have to go try to find it because that is just hilarious to me. Yeah. I mean, that takes meta to a whole like yeah. different level, and yeah. I'm like, Wendy's did what? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. They went there. I know Wendy's and Watchmen. It's these... Yeah combinations you never would have expected yeah, yeah no it, it it it's more than it. it's like wendy's using watchmen to throw shade at mcdonald's yeah like, absolutely incredible yeah absolutely. how does that happen yeah this is how i mean this is again one of the things that's like characteristic of the things i find interesting what has happened to watchmen that it can now be used in that way that it started off as one thing and now it's just dispersed into this kind of matrix or multiverse images and stories that can now get picked up in the most surprising places. And the fact that it's being it's been used in such a way that it's so disconnected from the original yeah. and you've got this newer generation of, you know, teens and 20-year-olds who have no idea about the connection yeah. to the original who just like, "Oh, look, funny blue man on Mars." I'm like, yeah. "What? Am I that old really?" No, that's precisely that's precisely what's interesting to me. I mean, that was what interested me when I did my book on Batman that I started in 95, you know, how do we see a bat symbol in so many different places? Um, I'm currently teaching a, a course uh, about where is the great Gatsby now? What happened to Gatsby nearly hundred years on? That Gatsby is now the name of like bars, skincare products, hair care, various kinds of vaguely 1920s, vaguely kind of jazzy parties. And how far has this come from the original? novel from um, 1925, the way something becomes kind of iconic and well-known, but like the thing that people know about it is so vague and distant from the original text. So I'm very interested in the way something starts as one thing and then kind of orbits and fractures, you know, like the planet Krypton exploding or something. So the fragments of it end up in the weirdest places. So everyone kind of knows a bit of it, um, but we've forgotten what the 
the first bit was where it came from. You, you, you lost me at Gatsby at skincare. I'm oh, my, that's the thing. That, that's the oh, thing. that hurts my oh, brain. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Gatsby has just become a sort of a brand meaning elegance and decadence, I think. And it's just used the sort of, you know, sort of empty, empty buzzword. But they still do mean the same Gatsby, basically. It's just a several removes from Jay Gatsby. I I'm I'm gonna have to look that up because yeah. equating Gatsby with decadent skincare, I'm like, where did you pull that from? Because that's yeah. not what the end of the book means. Well, I tell you what, I know, that's true. Yeah, they've forgotten <laughs> what happened to Gatsby. I mean, he probably had good skin at one point. Well, what I, my, one of my methods is to set up um, Google alerts for just key terms. And so for a while, while I'm writing something, I have Gmail messaging me saying, I've seen this thing here, I've seen that thing there. And so I get this kind of trawl of random stuff that just mentions the thing I'm interested in. And I just take things from this worldwide search of the word. <laughs> so what do you hope happens with Watchmen going forward? I mean, now that you've concluded this volume, you're, um, you're taking a break, you're, you're, you're resetting yeah. for, for the, for your next media studies uh, yeah. article or book. And, yeah. but you're still a fan. What yeah. are you, what are you hoping happens? <clears throat> I mean, Alan Moore was very nice to me when I met as a, as a teenager. And I think for his sake, I kind of, part of me wants it to just get left in the past so that, you know, he can sort of rest easy. And part of me wants him to not continue to be exploited for his creation and have it make money for other people. As a fan, you know, really, I would be happy just to keep going back to my original copy and enjoying that. But if they're going to do anything else, then I think... Like I said, if I had to do something with it and I had all the power in the universe, I would do a um, massive prestige, high budget, 12 part TV series in 2036, if that's the anniversary. Uh, I suppose that is 50 years. It's just astonishing. If that's 50 years, then I don't know. I'm no good with maths and dates. But, um, but I, you know, I've got multiple copies on my shelf, which I enjoy reading and it's something I'm always going to remember the pleasure of reading it for the first and second and third time so I'm kind of a believer in not constantly digging stuff up and rebooting it personally and I think Alan Moore would probably just like it to be left and you know it was a great comic from the mid-1980s and it had a great deal of influence and and now people can tell different stories rather than going back and zombifying stories from decades ago by someone who doesn't want them adapted. I would like to see a, like you said, a 50th anniversary reprint of the original graphic novel, but in coffee table mm -hmm. format, there was mm -hmm. Titan comics came out. I'm going to say four or five years ago, maybe mm -hmm. they came out with a hardcover art size like yeah. like the huge oversized yeah uh, version and they printed the uh it was a Jack Kirby and Gil Kane uh version of the the prisoner which never saw the light of day okay and it was had never been published but they had done this 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 comic hmm. and so titan Mm. gathered everything together and it's this huge it literally will not fit on your shelf unless you mm -hmm. stick it sideways yeah that <laughs> like that. yeah that's right so seeing a oversized coffee table reprint of the watchman mm. hardcover mm. uh brighter you know on on mm. on better paper so you mm. you get the the color you get the the motion the 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 impression of the motion i would i would get that i would i would like to see that yeah. type of book there's a couple of other things that i would now i've been thinking about it for a second like to see out of sheer curiosity even though they might kind of desecrate the idea of the original 
Well, one thing I would like to see, which I think wouldn't be in any way violating the original, I would like to see the original script printed as a book. I would like oh. to read the entire script as a book. Another thing that might be interesting, you know, interesting as a curiosity anyway, is to have it, the original black and white, recolored with contemporary digital painting. It might be interesting to see how that looks. And it might be interesting to, to give the script to a couple of other, or a whole bunch of maybe 12 different contemporary artists and see how they draw it. I mean, I would probably buy um, 12 issues of Watchmen where Alan Moore's script had been given to other artists with a distinct style and see how they draw each individual issue. Now, that would be interesting. But I mean, at the same time, I don't think we have to keep on milking it. But yeah, I'm the kind of person who would still order that. That's and that would and that would tap into and respect this idea of um, variations in you know different multi multiverse versions of Watchmen. Like, what if someone different who was equally available in 1985 had drawn Watchmen? Yeah, the the idea of a digital recolorization um, yeah. uh, is oh my goodness, that would be. I would love to see that um, just, you know, even, even just, you know, a sample page yeah. you know, uh, on, on, on a website yeah. would, would be, would be fun. Now but, I've said that, I'm very surprised if that doesn't exist because there's a black and white watchman and anyone could have colored that. So hmm. perhaps, perhaps it's already been done. Yeah. I would definitely look at that. Yeah. But I don't think it. I don't think the artwork was meant to work that way because I think the line art, the, the ink, was drawn to be coloured in that 1980s way. So technically, I, I don't think it would be ideal, but it would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that would if you could have this entire line of uh, redone artwork for the 50th anniversary, saying, you know, this is mm. what the Watchmen could look like now. Yeah. retell the same story but give it different visuals that yeah. Yeah. that that could that could that could create its own firestorm it would make money so <laughs> if i was at dc i would think about it, it would make money. seriously seriously yeah. well uh this book never-ending watchman is is a trove for 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 people who are interested in the watchman and the, the way you you went on a deep dive down a rabbit hole. Mm. And some of your rabbit holes have their own rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. That's a good But Yeah, but like people who are interested in the history of comics and the history of storytelling in how, I mean, this is actually an example of how uh, a particular story brand franchise whatever you want to call it has morphed into something uh -huh. far far beyond uh -huh. what any of the original creators could have imagined and i i recommend it uh fans of watchmen fans of how comics uh interact and influence uh history and media consumption uh, as well <laughs> mm -hmm. thank you thank you very much Yep, uh, the book is out now from Bloomsbury, uh, Neverending Watchmen, adaptations, sequels, prequels, and remixes. Uh, and you can also get Will's book on Star Wars from BFI Classics, also from Bloomsbury, which is uh, an interesting take on the, the contrast between good and evil, dark and light, and a few other things. Mm. And I'll have links to that. Uh, where's the best place people can uh, find you online searching for your next tome? Um, I've got a website, which is simply www.willbrooker.com. But I think the next tome won't be announced just yet because I'm still in the process. I'm going to start writing it around Easter time, I think. It's going to be a big, long book about the way our world is now governed by the idea of multiverses. So it's about things like post-truth and alternate facts and, you know, multiverse logic, parallel universe logic. But rather than being about any one thing, I want it to be about culture in a very broad sense. So it's taking ideas from the last chapter of the Watchmen book. So I knew like that last chapter, um, 
that's the kind of seed from which this new book is going to grow. Interesting. I'll definitely keep an eye out for that one when it's ready. Well, 2027, if you can wait. <laughs> It'll be a few years. Ah, okay. Good yeah. books take time, right? Yeah. Well, Will, thank you so much for for your time and your 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 sharing of your knowledge today. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you very much for having me. And we'll be back with more Slice of Sci-Fi right after this. Escape Pod, the free science fiction podcast brought to you by Escape Artists. I rippled a welcoming cadence of light beneath my skin, and then, seeing the newcomer was human, made my best approximation of a smile. Welcome to Helixer Transgalactic Lounge. Each week, one story told well. She should have never come back to this God's forsaken junk heap of a space station. But she couldn't help but miss it when she was away for too long. From the most astonishing and visionary storytellers of the genre. But because time is a trick of the mind, it can be hacked. And we have gotten good at it. We had to. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on the web at escapepod.org. And on Patreon under EA Podcasts. Hi, I'm Sandal Ramamurthy from NBC's Reverie, and you are listening to Slice of Sci-Fi. Never-ending Watchmen. As I said, this book is dense. It's really a treasure trove. It's, it's got so much in it. That if you are a fan of Watchmen, you will appreciate every bit of this. So go check it out. It's available now. Never Ending Watchmen by Will Brooker. Uh, he also, in addition to the Star Wars book, Hunting the Dark Knight and uh, the Blade Runner Experience. So media studies is completely uh, Will's wheelhouse. And I'm curious what he's going to be coming up with in a couple of years about multiverses. Very, very curious. So what about you? What do you think about Watchmen? What are your impressions? What are your interpretations of the, the variants that are out there? like Doomsday Clock and the the HBO limited series. Let me know. Call in. The number is 602-635-6976 or shoot me an email, summer at sliceofsci-fi.com. You can also find us on Twitter at sliceofsci-fi and on Blue Sky at sliceofsci-fi.com. We'll be uh, chatting about this on both platforms if you're interested. Uh, no, I still have not set up the Discord server. That's all on me. You can listen to Slice of Sci-Fi on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Player FM, and iHeartRadio Podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple or Podchaser, please consider leaving us a review or a rating. Let folks know you are enjoying the show and they should check it out for themselves. <laughs> Trying to expand the type of content we have here. I'm looking to do more interviews with uh, comics creators and uh, go a little bit beyond some of the newer shows. Well, since the strikes are over, those should be normalizing again. We'll see. We'll see what happens in the new year. I'd like to thank everyone who's currently helping to support Slice of Sci-Fi and all the podcasts and websites in the Slice of Sci-Fi universe. 
which include Babylon Podcast, Writers After Dark, CharlieJade.net, your pledges through Patreon, your donations through PayPal really do help keep things running around here. So for that, I thank you. If you'd like to add your support, the place to go is patreon.com slash slice of sci-fi, where you can pick a tier, any tier, and become eligible for perks. Every month, I pick a winning email address out of the electronic hat, or rather the random number generator program I use does that. And that person can choose from books, DVDs, Blu-rays, or 4Ks that I have received as review materials because, well, some of the stuff is really cool, but I can't keep all of it. So supporters, fans, and friends of the show get to uh, pick for some really cool stuff. And if you're interested in helping to support things, but you don't want to commit to a monthly pledge, the link to use is paypal.me slash sci-fi summer. You can also head on over to sliceofsci-fi.net where you can browse our curated selections of uh, books, TV shows, and movies, physical media at its finest, <laughs> and uh, anything purchased through that site, are uh, the affiliate links do help uh, feed us a few pennies back here and there. So. Thank you for your support, no matter how you choose to show it. And that'll do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back with more Slice of Sci-Fi next time. Take care. Mm-hmm.